0: Welcome to What the Duck, a podcast with real experts talking about direct spin challenges and experiences. And now, here's your host, SourceDay's
1: very own manufacturing maven, Sarah Scudder.
0: Thanks for joining me for What the Duck, another supply chain podcast brought to you by SourceDay. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and this is the podcast for people working in the direct materials part of supply chain. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S Scudder on Twitter. If you are new to the show, make sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss any of our direct materials supply chain content. Today, I'm gonna be joined by Andy Nielsen and we're going to discuss how to keep your transportation costs under control. If you work for a manufacturer and are struggling to manage logistics costs, then this episode is for you. Andy has bought direct materials for ceramics food and ready meals, personal care, and heavy engineering. Welcome to the show, Andy.
1: Thank you very much. It's very good to be here.
0: So Andy, I am in Austin today. You are joining us somewhere else in the world. Uh, I think it's evening time for you, so just about dinner time.
1: That's right, yes, I'm currently in Dubai.
0: And are what's going on in Dubai? Are you? Do you live there? Are you traveling the world? It sounds like a an interesting <laughs> adventure.
1: Um, I'm I'm here on behalf of a client, so I'm I'm helping a client um, as a a procurement and supply chain coach, currently.
0: Okay. So, Andy, you and I, I think we've been connected now for a couple years. Um, initially, we were connected through LinkedIn, and, and we've had some conversations. So one of the things that really stands out to me about you is you have this incredible passion for procurement. I feel like it comes through in everything that you do. So why the love for procurement?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. I think, I think if you ask many procurement people, the majority of us will say we fell into it. Um, I'm not sure anybody chooses it as a career within within school um i wish they would um i fell into it simply because of um i was asked to go in and organize um, a stores and a warehouse um crikey, before before computers were even born so that's how old i am um and really the, the the love and the passion just grew from there in terms of the the impact it could have the value it adds to an organization um, I'd like to think that I'm reasonably good at it. Um, I've been doing it for 30-odd years now. Um, and yeah, I think it touches many parts of an organization, and to be honest, you, I think it's the best job in the world. So, um, slightly biased, but that, that's how I fell into it anyway.
0: Well, I agree, I think it's awesome, and I'm kind of obsessed with our industry, and I think there's really fun, cool people in our space. One of the other things that stands out to me about your background, if you look at your LinkedIn profile, you have worked at so many different companies and done so many different things in the direct space. What do you think is required to be a great buyer today, meaning in 2023?
1: I think it's um, thinking laterally. I still think that the um, the structure, um, the the procurement tools that we use as a as a basic are still relevant. I'm pleased to say that a lot more buyers are open to developing the relationships with suppliers rather than it just being a cost transaction. It's now about a proper relationship, Mm -hmm. and and I do think you, you. it's how do you generate innovation from your supply base? You know, I, I, I've, I've bought many categories, but I'm an expert in none of them because that's where the expertise lies in the supply base. So buyers nowadays, in, in my opinion, are more about facilitation agents, whether that be in, in direct materials, indirect. Um, and I think you see a lot of the Innovation in the marketplace as a result of relationship development, partnerships, collaboration. Um, but I still hold true by the by the you know, the values that procurement have held for many many years, which is about control and governance. It's about the structure. Um, it's not about being a procurement dinosaur. It's about doing the basics right but understanding the, where the value needs to be added and also where the efficiencies need to be focused and the, and the waste to be removed. So it's that, that constant check-in, if you like, that everything is as it should be and what else could it be, really? So, um, and I think you have to be pretty thick-skinned as well, nowadays. I think it, it's, it's challenging a buyer nowadays with the supply chain challenges that we have um and you have to try and maintain a sense of humor as best as you can
0: so i so we work with a lot of buyers in the manufacturing space and i would say i've noticed in the last i don't know 12 to 18 months of, of a pretty big mindset shift with this idea of it, it's no longer us versus them hmm. We're not out to screw our supplier. We're not out to nickel and dime them. And I feel like, at least in manufacturing, that was very much the case several years ago. So that's been a nice change that I've noticed, and I I think it's going to continue. It's more about we and working together and collaborating.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, I agree.
0: You also mentioned having thick skin. I think if you don't, you won't. I don't even know if you'd last a day being a buyer this day and age with the just absolute craziness with you're not able to get supply and everything changing so last minute. You, you absolutely have to just have a, a good sense of who you are and do the best you can and uh, not take everything so personally.
1: Yeah, which is which is difficult for, for most people, myself included. You know, I think many buyers take everything personally. Um, I think that's just within our nature, to be honest with you. Um, but we all try and learn from it and get better as a result. Is, is my experience.
0: So you started your career over thirty years ago as a buyer, and you stayed with the same company for eleven years. What was the biggest challenge you faced as you were starting your career as a buyer (laughs)
1: um not really knowing what i was supposed to be doing i think um i was very naive particularly clueless um insular if you like to the ways of the world so I, i i was working in ceramics um in england um when ceramics were made in England, um, sadly not much anymore. And there was a lot to learn around relationships. There was a lot to learn around supply chains as well. And the one thing I did learn is I couldn't do it on my own. Um, and that wasn't really about you know the internal relationships, which would just kind of um, naturally exist, but the external relationships. I didn't know enough about my category. I didn't know enough about my supply chains. So when somebody said, you can't do that, when I made a request, I didn't know why I couldn't. So I, I asked, I guess, the, you know, the silly questions, well, why can't I do this? What do I need to do better? And I, I think any good buyer listens more than they speak. I think it's about being educated by your suppliers as to what the true parameters are, in which you can work, I was sat there, you know, in my little ideal world, saying, "Well, if I, I just have to say yes and you go and do it, surely," um, that wasn't obviously the case. So that was there was a few bumps along the road. Um, like I said, I, I learned to listen a lot more than I spoke. It took a while, because um, I think that. Um, that youthful approach, perhaps, should I say, um, sometimes got the better of me in terms of, um, what do you mean you can't tell me what to do? I'm a buyer sort of thing. so But I quickly had that arrogance knocked out of me, I'm very pleased to say. Um, and did learn that it's really good to listen because there's so many things you can learn from your suppliers. They are the experts. They're the ones that are really going to add the true value and they're going to make you look good in your job. So they're your, they are your best friends. That was, that was the thing that I learned quite early on.
0: And, and that mentality and mindset drives your strategy and approach, which I think has really helped elevate your career. So you, you held several procurement jobs, including um, a few head of procurement roles and a VP of supply chain gig. What do you think made you so good at working in supply chain that you were able to get those very high-level leadership positions where you're managing teams of people versus just being an individual contributor?
1: It's um, a really good question. Um, I, I I I guess for me it's about demonstrating the passion to not only get results but get sustainable results um, i'd like to think i'm a people person um, i'd like to think i put people first no matter whether they're working for me or working for somebody else or working in a different organisation i think you take a huge responsibility with people career people's careers when when you're managing them and they're, they're in, within your your own function what what allowed me to get those jobs. I, I guess it's that that expression of, of the, the passion behind you know, trying to do a great job. Um, obviously, I, you know, I've worked with some great people. I've worked in some fantastic organisations. Not everything has been brilliant. Not everything has been particularly good at times. You know, we've all had our challenges. Um, you know, we've all we can all look back and go, oh, I really wish I hadn't done that now. Um, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to find somebody in the world who can't do that and say, yeah. Um, but I guess now, you know, developing my career through um, qualifications as well. So through the Chartered Institute of Procurement Supply, Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport, and Institute of Supply Chain Management. Um, I've always been very passionate about being able to demonstrate that I can do what I say because I think that's really important um, not that it' not just for the accolade um, of, of being you know, qualified but I do think it holds uh, a great deal of credibility when you're dealing with suppliers um, I think there's a I'd like to think a bit of respect for the fact that I can do what I yeah, do what I say um, I'm very open and honest Um I'd like to think I'm very structured and organized. And I think that's how I come across. Um, that's certainly the feedback that I get. Um, and I'd like to think that, you know, the success, if you like, in the last five years of, of being a um, dreaded consultant has been as a result of the relationships, if you like, that and the results of the last 25 years prior to that
0: that 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 would be an another interesting topic for an interview about the the reputation of consultants in our industry
1: uh, absolutely yes yes um with any industry there are good and bad reputations and there are good and bad results aren't there but um I think consultants do get a um, a bit of a bad name at times um perhaps you know perhaps quite rightly in some cases and probably not in a lot of cases um, but it is a bit of um, gamekeeper turned poacher um, which is probably a very much an, an English analogy but um yeah it, it, jumping that fence um, it it gives you a different perspective, shall we say
0: most important role in your supply chain career <sighs>
1: I think there's been a, there's been a few. I think the going back a number of years, I worked at a a UK retailer called Halfords, um, who's were looking selling um, cycles and um, car accessories, and that was having worked at the ceramics business for eleven years. That was my first role out of that kind of steady. Safe role, um, and it was very much about fast-moving consumer goods. Um, and I was looking after cycle accessories, which are not the most exciting of categories to look after. Not being a cyclist myself, I, I just didn't didn't get it. I didn't get the passion. Um, but for me, it was it was a really it was a huge turning point in terms of my appreciation of how supply chains worked. First real exposure to the Far East supply chain. Um, first real exposure to, you know, sea freight taking so long. Um, so all of Christmas, if you like, was already sorted by August of every year, which took a lot to get around, get my head around. Um, but you know, I, I think it was it was the most important for me because the people at the time I was working with the Halfords were just extraordinary. Yeah, you know, the the team I was working in, the line manager, Nigel Watson, and just absolutely stunning in terms of the level of support, um, level of investment that they put into me, um, the patience and the the, um, forgiveness, if you like, when things went slightly wrong, um, because they did. Um, But I think as a result of that, that work and the result of feeling safe and secure in in being able to learn and develop new things, that then paved the way for where I am now, to be honest with you. Um, I've held more powerful roles, I've held a lot better paid roles, but I think that was the most um, informative um, role for me because I learnt a lot about myself. I was suddenly away from the safe role that I had for 11 years I was exposed. I was, I, I was, I was lost at one point because I was sat there going, I haven't got a clue what I'm supposed to be doing. But the team around me helped, um, and it was good. It was, there was there were some good years, and that's why it was. That's why it's really important for me.
0: I encourage people that I talk to, and mentor and give career advice that it's really important to take a role like that. You may. It may be a demotion in your mind. You may take a pay cut, but in some cases, that's the role you need to get the experience you need to catapult your career later.
1: Yes, yeah, and I'm still in contact with a number of them now, you know, and they've all gone on to, to bigger and better things. Um, I said I was far from perfect. I was a pain in the backside for quite a bit of the time, So, but they were, they were superb, you know, the organization, simply one of the best I've worked for to be honest with you. Mm -hmm.
0: So you you just mentioned when you were describing this role a little bit about transportation and how that was kind Mm -hmm. of your first exposure and for some reason that, that really has seemed to stick with you and one of the things that you've continued to focus on your career is transportation costs. Why has that become such a passion and focus for you?
1: I think as as you develop your, your career within you know, supply chain and procurement, it's it isn't just about buying something and just it just arriving on time, you know, and in full. And whenever you're looking at your own supply chains, whenever you map your supply chain, you immediately can see where the pinch points are, where the you know, where where the highest levels of cost are and transportation is 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 one of those and rather than just be a blinkered buyer in terms of well you know i'm paying um ddp or or whatever whatever um inco terms you still have a a need to ensure continuity supply and you still have a need to have awareness of what the market is doing what what can you do as a buyer to make it easier for the transportation providers to get into you. Um, So I think it's about that flexibility and adaptability to suit the supply chain rather than getting the supply chain to suit you. Um, How do you, I guess, how do you utilise the transportation network to your advantage rather than just think you're in isolation and therefore they must adapt to your ways. So I've always looked at it from that perspective. What can I do to change to help? Um, and that's that's kind of followed me throughout my whole career, whether it be, um, you know, personal care, whether it be in in food or, or whatever. You know, there's always been transportation as part of that role. Um, and sometimes I wish it hadn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be perfectly blunt. Um, no disrespect to all the all the partners I work with, um, but certainly the last couple of years have been challenging with, with sea freight rates. Um, but again, you find out pretty quickly the strength of your trading relationships with your third party providers based on the continuity supply, the the, the solutions that they could offer um, that they potentially wouldn't offer other customers they don't have such a good relationship with. So. Um, but I, I think, that as to your original question, I think the transportation element is something that is sometimes overlooked as an opportunity to create efficiencies, um, and again, I've been very lucky to work with some very, very talented and knowledgeable people within transportation. Um, a, lot of them, a lot of them, in fairness, in the US, um, and again, Huge, huge learning curve for me and I think that's the key thing that every role I've taken on is I've always learned something and tried to then play it back into the next role or next situation um, but I, I just think I think transportation plays a massive part in everything and every buying decision that you make um, therefore you have to consider it and you have to dive into it in terms of well what if i did this what if i sourced it from here what you know what what would we do with rail freight instead of sea freight or road freight etc so so that's that's why it always plays a, an important part in my opinion
0: so our audience is primarily manufacturing focused so a lot of our listeners are working for small and mid-sized manufacturers and i bring this up because I feel like a lot of buyers at a manufacturing facility don't have the resources to have a dedicated person focused on freight and logistics. So I might be working on a team of two or three or four people, and we don't have the luxury of saying, okay, you focus on this, you focus on transportation. So as a buyer, I need to know enough so I can factor that in and manage that, but I'm also doing everything else that a buyer does. So why, when we were prepping for the call, which hence it's the the conversation of our topic today, you said the biggest challenge you faced last year, meaning you as a consultant now working with clients, was excessive sea freight costs. Why did these costs get so out of control? Of course, we know the blanket thing will COVID, But I would like your explanation of why sea freight just became so outrageous. (laughs)
1: Um, I can give you my opinion. I'm not sure whether it's um, accurate or not, but certainly my impression and my opinion. Um, I think COVID in essence stopped a lot of transportation initially. I think containers and and, materials ended up in the wrong place. I think there was a a lot of equipment that had to be repatriated in order to get them into the right right position. I think as soon as the trading opportunities opened again, there was a huge suppressed demand that the shipping lines took an opportunity around, in my opinion. you know, Prices going up, and they make record profits. Um, you know, there's there's a direct correlation there, and at the end of the day, if you wanted to ship something via sea freight, chances are you'd have to go probably. You know, as as a small to medium enterprise, as an else, you know, using LCL, um, so your buying power is quite low. Therefore, you are you are at the the mercy if you like of um the shipping lines or freight forwarders um who are then at the mercy of the shipping lines in terms of one availability of equipment and two costs Um, and yeah i I think it was it it was hugely challenging when people you know people were seeing 20-foot containers going from $2,000 $2,000 to to dollars
0: $18,000. I mean, in like, some cases, I, I heard, I mean, we had clients, it was 5 or 10x what they yeah. had normally paid, and it's like, how do you even prepare or manage or plan for that?
1: Well, you, you can't, can you? That's the thing. And I think that as a result of that sort of activity, a lot of clients, a lot of people in the manufacturing space I'm seeing are... Near shore in their activities now and looking to source closer to home. And whilst the cost of the product may be more expensive, the overall supply chain cost will be lower and the, the supply chain risk will be mitigated to a, you know, a, a greater degree, because certainly you know, in a US situation, sourcing it from you know, the Americas will be a hell of a lot cheaper than sourcing it from the Far East. Mm-hmm. Given that the logistics costs, although obviously now that you know, thankfully it is changing, but yeah, the last last eighteen months, um, yeah, I've never I've never seen anything like it to be honest with you. Um, but we, you know, my my clients, yeah, you know, we we got through it. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't um, wasn't ideal, but it was it was one of those things that was it was a, a global event, as it were. So. Um, but as to as to the reasons, well, I I, I only have my views, shall we say. <laughs> I I wouldn't have minded owning a very very big boat um, at the time.
0: That's what I'm saying. I mean, someone could have made a lot of money getting into the 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 boat industry in the last couple yes. of years.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think people did make a lot of money um but that's that's commerce isn't it you know you either you either go and pay it or you find another solution and i think that's where organizations became quite smart and innovative around what what can we do that's different what can we do that de-risks the situation and de-risks the you know the the cost implications so um yeah I, i think in my experience, you know, my clients, have. the landscape has changed as a result, so they're less reliant on the, that kind of fluctuation, you know, potential fluctuation in the markets now because they made their supply chains more robust, I would suggest.
0: So I'm a buyer for a mid manufacturer, let's say. Mm-hmm. What should I do right now in 2023 to better manage my transportation costs this year. I don't have um, a dedicated resource managing freight and logistics procurement. I It's one of the many things that I have to focus on and prioritize. So I don't have a ton of time. But I want to make sure that I'm conscious and doing the best I can for my organization.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think the immediate solution is you could probably employ me. Um, <laughs> If you don't want to employ me, which is fair enough, um, I, I think that you've got many great organisations out there within the freight forwarding world. You've obviously got the big players in in small parcel who are not just small parcel, um, so yeah, UPS and, and the FedEx. The FedEx is of this world, and just because you're a small to medium enterprise. It doesn't mean that your business is not attractive. And I think that any buyer should remember there's always value in your brand. There's always value in your business. But if you're moving, I don't know, say one 20 foot container a month, you're probably not gonna find many people who go adapt their supply chains to suit you. So I would look at how you could adapt your supply chain and your ordering profile to best suit you know, a transportation solution. Um, I worked for an organization, you know, and I worked in the US and we had our warehouse on the East Coast and we were importing to the West Coast. So, you know, you could either take it by train from West to East, or you could go through the canal and, and bring it into New York, etc. So, but it's about balancing the solutions and being as flexible as possible um, and appreciating that, you're probably not going to be the biggest customer to the to the provider so again it's probably a bit more about listening rather than dictating or demanding um and can you know consider consider all the options you know can you can you look to make your your buying lots bigger and less frequent um can you look to actually what I've done previously um, is that you know certain organisations will come in and do an audit of how you transport how you transport goods in and out, and then they can go away and make a more informed decision about what the best solution that they could offer you. And certainly, when I was dealing with um, UPS in the US, um, we, we amended our outbound delivery network to suit UPS, because it made sense.
0: Meaning you weren't necessarily using UPS or or not as as much, and you decided to pivot and make them a a main supplier?
1: Well, well, they were already a main supplier, but we we were, and I'm I'm using these times as an example now, but we were saying, right, we're going to dispatch at 10 a.m., but they were saying, well, actually, that means we have to put a dedicated wagon on, and it would be better at 3 p.m. So we kind of changed our schedules to suit their their network because it made sense, because they were here, there and everywhere. Um, and it, it was about efficiencies and about the adaptability and the, the ability to be flexible to suit the transportation network. So my advice really would be talk, talk to providers, talk to the experts, and understand what is possible, and what you are able to amend and change to suit. I think you'd be, as a buyer, if you haven't done this process, you'd be amazed at what you know the potential benefit could be. Um, a lot of the providers nowadays are true outsourcing partners. It's not just a question of you know. Sticking the sticking the box on the back of a trailer and off it goes. You know the, these organisations are there to help around your your schedule and your routine. Um, they're looking to utilise their space as much as they can, and you could be a great partner with them, even if you're you're driving you know less than full container loads every single month. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the, the thing is, don't be afraid to ask. You know, it's nothing wrong with being a small customer. Um, you won't necessarily be the biggest, but you can certainly be the best customer, and that would that would keep people coming back to you for saying, "Right, you know, what else can we do to help you, etc." So, let's face it: people like to deal with nice people. People like to trade with genuine people who listen and are flexible. Um, I'm sure we're all the same. None of us like to have um, inflexible solutions forced upon us. We react naturally and go, no, no, I don't like that. So that would be my advice: is um, you could look at consolidation as well in terms of other local organisations. Um, you know, so um, maximising utilisation of, of the containers or the the transportation, or the wagons, etc. I think you know, no idea is a bad idea when it comes to what could help me? But I, and all joking aside, there are also some fantastic external third parties that can help you around network design and supply chain solutions, specific to transportation. Um, You know, there are some great ones in the US. Um, Again, don't be afraid to ask, you know, don't be afraid to um, extend an invitation to people to come to talk to you. I think a request for information to be sent out to transportation providers is not only a a good proactive move, it's also very educational as well. So, yes, people may not have much time, but you've always got time to learn, in in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and a key takeaway, it kind of sounds like something that manufacturers should really focus on is, Instead of trying to get a a third party to pivot and accommodate your needs, find what's already in the market. And if there's a solution that's working well, see if you can modify your process to fit into a better model, right? Especially if you're a small organization, people aren't going to necessarily go out of their way to make major changes. But if you can fit yourself into something that's already working well, you might be able to to come up with a nice solution.
1: Yeah, I, I liken it to um, air travel, for example. So, you know, I would never go to Delta or United and say, um, I want to fly to Dulles at 10.14 on a Tuesday. Can you put a plane on for me, please? Um, I, I can imagine the answer I would get. And it's probably pretty similar to what transportation providers would say to SMEs in terms of, okay yeah you've got three boxes but you know we've got 50 containers so um that would be my analogy is you need to be flexible and you need to adapt to other people's routes um etc so um and that's okay that's fine you know there's 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 thousands of people who do it very very well um there are there's, there's always a solution there's always an answer and there's always somebody in the world that has solved the problem you've got. I don't think I've got any problem that hasn't been solved by somebody else. You've just got to find it and steal it.
0: What innovation is happening in transportation that manufacturers should pay attention to this year? Something that really stands out that you think you know, could could have a big impact. And, and maybe it's new and it's starting, but it's something that people should... Buyers should think about and put on their radars.
1: I, I think the key one is around sustainability. I think the new um, the new sustainable measures around sea freight, the electrification of fleets, delivery fleets. I think that will that will continue. Um, I'm not particularly clever enough to to say what what innovations may or may not be coming up, but certainly I think yeah we need to appreciate the fact that you know organisations, transportation organisations, are again adapting to suit the needs of the environment. Um, they're all being challenged with cost of fossil fuels, etc. Um, so I, I'm quite interested to see what that looks like. I think there's you see various pictures of um, ships with with you know, commercial ships with with sails um, to take advantage of, of, of wind power. I, I yeah, I, I'd say it, I think it's going to be an interesting space in the next couple of years as people look to understand how we can become more efficient with what we've got. Um, it needs to get. It needs for people to get on board with these sort of things. Excuse the pun. Um, but it's yeah. There's obviously the drone thing as well, isn't there, for kind of household deliveries. I'm not so sure about the drone delivery. Um,
0: I've, I've seen what? some TikTok videos with the the drone deliveries. I I question the viability in the especially in the commercial space.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, I can't see many twenty-foot containers being delivered by a yeah. drone. <laughs> It'd be a hell of a hell of a big drone. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that the the, um, the fueling and the sustainability element of transportation is really where the focus is, and I think there's some quite you know, incredibly talented people looking at that. Um, but for you know the likes of normal people like me, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really looking for the. Providers to come with solutions that are flexible to clients' needs and be proactive about it as well. You know they've got a massive potential audience out there of in the SME market, and they need to ensure it's not just the big players there. They're kind of um, the SME providing SME solutions market? for.
0: Did you say Sorry, the, SA saying,
1: in the SME market? And the SME market.
0: Oh, okay. I was going to ask you to explain that, but you, you meant the, the small business market.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they need to provide solutions, um, uh, accessible solutions and solutions that can work for the smaller, smaller enterprises on a global basis.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for discussing how to keep your transportation costs under control today, Andy. Where would you like to send people to find you? You have your own Company now we got a, a kind of a cool, fun name, Twisted Orange. So, where where should people get more intel?
1: Um, I, I think the probably the best thing to do is is find me on LinkedIn. Um, so Andy Nielsen uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, obviously, yeah, Twisted Orange is, is our business. So, from my wife, um, we like to do things slightly differently as per as per the name, um, but we try and have some fun with it as well. So, um, and like I said, yeah, I think. Supply chain procurement, best job in the world. Um, I love talking about it. Um, I could talk and talk and talk. So um, please, you know, get in touch. Um, it would be good to see how how I could help. Um, and if I can't help, then I'm sure I know people that can. Uh, you know, I'm not um, I'm not unwilling to to kind of you know pass people on to the the best people that can help.
0: If you missed anything, you can check out the show notes. You can find us by typing in What the Duck, another supply chain podcast in Google. To have optimal search results, make sure to include another supply chain podcast at the end of your search. To ensure you don't miss a single episode, make sure to follow this podcast and subscribe to us on YouTube. I'm at Sarah Scudder on LinkedIn and at S Scudder on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of What the Duck, another supply chain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, and I'll be back next week.